Welcome to History of College Football Podcast. I am Jay Abramson, and I will take you down a gridiron memory lane, the national champions, the teams, the rivalries, and conferences, the Heisman winners, the rankings. Today, we are lucky to have a very special guest, Mr. Joe Miller, color commentator for the Navy Football Radio Network, PXP for Navy Athletics, and host of At It's College FB Podcast. Again, that's At ITS. C-O-L-L-E-G-E-F-B podcast. And he is here today to discuss Navy football. You can also hear him at WBAL Sports Tonight, and he may be found on Twitter at J-O-M-I-L-M-I-L. Mr. Miller, good sir, it is indeed an honor to have you on my podcast. First, tell me, Mr. Miller, about your work as a color commentator for Navy football, for Navy radio football. Yeah, Jay, thanks for having me on. Um, uh, I've uh, been the um, color commentator now for uh, three years now after the conclusion of this past season, but uh, the previous five years, I worked on uh, the crew as the sideline reporter. And previous to that, um, for about four or five years, I was the host of the the pregame show and the postgame show. So I've sort of uh, (laughs) worked my way through all the elements of uh, your typical radio broadcast. All right, finding work, line of work, incredibly fascinating. Um, you also have a podcast at It's College FB Podcast. Tell me a little bit about your podcast. Sure, uh, sure. Yeah, I mean, um, ostensibly, it's it's a weekly podcast where we preview and review the games during the season. We we pick generally we pick the the top ten games of the week from all different conferences. And since Navy is part of the AAC, we always like to throw the other conferences a bone every now and then, and not just stick to SEC Big Ten all the time. Uh, so we certainly try to spread out the love as much as possible. So we preview uh, each uh, uh, top 10 games each week on, uh, on um, uh, you know, uh, early in the week. And then we do a review episode every Sunday night where we just look back at all the games and sort of talk about the key uh, points. Um, and I, I also like to throw out there last year where we kind of got into the pandemic. There wasn't much going on as far as college football. Um, to your listeners, uh, they might interest them. I, I did. We did a whole season where we kind of looked back. We just randomly picked a college football year and we picked uh, 1987 and sort of went back week by week uh, through the season, did some highlights at the beginning of each show and kind of talked about some of the big storylines each and every week. So that was a lot of fun. But um, so, yeah, just basically it's all about college football. <laughs> Well, if you're not already doing so, I strongly suggest all of you out there listen to this man's podcast. Great stuff. Now, my podcast is dedicated to discussing the history of college football, and often we dedicate a podcast to the football history of a particular school. On episode 45, we discuss the college football history of the Navy midshipmen. You, as a colored commentator for the Navy Football Radio Network, I'm very much interested on getting your take on a number of items surrounding Navy football, both historically and currently. So if I may, I'll start with the coaches. In our best coach segment of our podcast, we focus the choice between Coach Bill Ingram, 1926 to 1930, and Coach George Welch, 1973 to 1981. And ultimately, we gave the nod to Coach Ingram. I have a couple of questions for you here. In an anecdotal argument, what measuring sticks would you use to compare the coaching greats from different eras? Yeah, it's really a tough question. I think I look at it in a couple different ways. I think longevity has to play a role in it at, at some point. I mean, I think you need to, and with that, you have to reflect on the fact that 
you know, you know, pre-World War II, there wasn't a lot of coaches that would stick around for a long time, especially to look at Navy and Army, because a lot of these people were military men and they had other assignments to go to. So you have to throw that ca uh, caveat in there. But I think longevity is part of it. I think consistency is always a hallmark of a good coach. I mean, you can have a down year every now and then, but you want to have that consistency. And quite frankly, with Army and Navy as big rivals, it's the one thing that kind of, uh, when I look back at, uh, you know, comparing eras and different sports, it's always difficult. But the one thing I think you can do in college, in college football is uh, incredibly difficult because you have so many different eras and so many different styles of play. But one of the things I, I think you can reflect back on Navy and make a comparison is that when you look at the results of Army and Navy outside of the recent history, when Navy won 14 in a row, they're basically similar programs throughout the test of time. I mean, there's obviously years when one's better than the other. And, but I think a good comparison for coaches is you can look at that matchup with army and see how they fared against army. I think that's one area where you can kind of um, pick out and say, well, here's a common theme that we can really take through many different decades and years, 40, 50 years. And we can say, and we can compare and contrast how they did against the Army in those eras. Well, that's good old-fashioned horse sense. I see where you're coming from. Now, can you speak to how this current generation at Navy views the legacy left by George Welch? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think there's still a reflection of that there. Um, you know, as I said before, before um, I was uh, doing the color commentating, I was on the sideline. And um, uh, the guy that was doing the color commentating at the time was former um, Navy player. Of course, he coached for a long time with George Wells at UVA, then went on to have a great career at North Carolina State and Boston College, Tom O'Brien. And, and I, talking to him about his former, uh, you know, he, he coached under George Welsh for, I believe, 15 to 16 years. Talking to him, I think you got a good reflection of George Welsh. And I, I still think when you look at the modern era, of, of, of Navy football. It kind of starts with George Welsh there and the success that he had, I think, was one of the things when you saw Paul Johnson get hired in the early 2000s and then uh, Kenny uh, Niamatololo take over for Paul, they reflected back on that and said, look, if, if George Welsh could win in the 70s, you know, coming off the Vietnam era where there was not a ton of success at Army or at Navy and you really had to redefine what those schools were as football programs. If he can have success in that era, we can certainly, you know, strive to have success in this era. And I think that's where you see the connection. Boy, that, that is some great insight. You, you have a vast perspective. I, I really appreciate that. Well, I got to ask, when you're announcing a game, how often do you find yourself analyzing a coach's decision? <laughs> yeah, uh, often. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's one of those things where, um, you know, one of the more difficult things about, I will say about this year and this season, because everybody was sort of distance and we had Zoom calls to have press conferences and everything that went on. The one thing I miss more than anything is in other years, we would meet with the coaches every Tuesday. We'd talk to uh, the head coach, we'd talk to the offensive coordinator, and we'd talk to the defensive coordinator, and we'd have a better understanding of what they were trying to accomplish each and every week and I think that really helped me reflect during the game and sort of what decisions they were making in the game so 
I think missing that this season uh, was tough because, you know, you get to personally know them and sort of their strengths and weaknesses of what they want to try to do each and every week. So, I, yeah, I mean, I find myself in the, in the, in the, in the, the, the crucible of the game talking about decisions made. Um, I, I try to, to, to try to put it in perspective each and every time. So I hope I do that and not sort of lean heavily one way or another as far as um, praising somebody or criticizing the coach. See, I always wanted to know that you bring such a unique perspective into this. Thank you. I'll move no on to the teams. Um, on our podcast, in our best team segment, we ultimately gave the nod to the 1926 Navy Midshipman 901. I'll go back to what I asked you before, just with a slightly different spin on it. But in an anecdotal argument, what measuring sticks would you use to compare greatness of different teams from different eras? Yeah, it's another fascinating thing because you look back at the 2016, the only national championship team, and I'm looking back at some of the results, and it, it's funny. It, <laughs> I'm sure as you see this, Jay, it, it's funny how things change, but they're all the same throughout time. It's funny going back after looking at that 2016, they tie Army in that game, which at the time, they felt like, oh, this is, we were trying to win the national championship. This tie is not going to allow us to win the national championship. But on the same day as that tie, Notre Dame loses an upset to Carnegie Tech. And that allows Navy to get back in the picture. It's funny, the next day in the local newspaper in Baltimore, um, there's an article, basically what you see today is like, this is why Navy should be the national champion. This, this tenure this in 2020, you see, this is why Texas A&M should be in the playoff. And it, it's the same thing literally a hundred years later. It's just in a different form. And when you compare right. teams, the one thing that I think you can look at is how they respond in close games. And I think the one thing that I would, the, the one thing that ties great teams all together, I think is in those crucial situations. Can they make plays? Can they come up with key situations? How do they handle the pressure? How do they handle, and in that game, that the 26th national championship team in that game against Army, they're up 14-0. Then they fall behind 21-14 in the fourth quarter. I think it's a fourth down and three or something like that. And they run in the game-tying score and tie the game 21-21. And I think in those situations, when you look at teams and what makes a great team, it's those situations. It, it's those opportunities that you rise to the occasion. And I think you see that with nearly every great team. When you look at historically great teams, it's when they're tested, how do they respond to it? Right. I appreciate the sharpness and the detail of your answer. So, so I got to know, in your opinion, what was the greatest Navy team? Yeah. You know, this was, I had fun sort of going back and looking at different things because I think traditionally, I think the 63 team would be considered the, the best team. And that's just because from, uh, and I, I'll, I'll use the term modern era loosely here, because I don't think the 26 team, there's a lot of people that really talk about it. And it's interesting because, you know, we're coming up on that hundred year anniversary in five years. So I'm, I'm interested to see what Navy does with that. But I think in a lot of people's mind, the 63 team would be considered the, the top team because they, you know, they play for the national championship, essentially playing the Cotton Bowl against Texas. Obviously, a lot of people know that Roger Staubach won the national championship. That I mean, excuse me, won the Heisman Trophy that year. 
They've got, um, you know, great running back in Pat Donnelly, a very good wide receiver in, in Skip Orr. Tom Lynch, who would later become a superintendent at the United States Naval Academy, was a captain on that team. Um, it was a – when I looked at the numbers, because I like to compare the numbers, you know, they were the number two offense in the country that year, averaging 29 points per game. Uh, now, defensively, you know, they were a little bit middle of the road, averaging – giving up 15 points per game. Uh, which was 59th, amazingly, in 1963, <laughs> giving up 15 points a game. If, if you're doing that in 2021, you're getting millions of dollars as, as a defensive coordinator. But um, that Texas defense only allowed six points a game back in 63. So I think I think most people consider the 63 team. Now, the 60 team with Joe Bellino beat Missouri in the Orange Bowl. And, they, right. and you look at the – they also beat Washington earlier in the season that year, and Washington would later go – and win the Rose Bowl that year. So I think most people would say the 63 team, and I would tend to uh, I would tend to go with the 63 team, but the 60 team's got a shout. And when you look at the 57 team, which nobody really talks about a ton because it didn't have the star power in Bellino or Stallback, but Tom Forrestal was the quarterback for the 57 team. They beat Rice in the Cotton Bowl. His grandson played at the Naval Academy a couple years ago. So oh. I remember talking and going back and looking at some of the stuff for the 57 team. Now, they beat Army that year 14 to nothing, and Army came into that game uh, number 10 in the country, and that was the team with, the, with Pete Dawkins, who won the Heisman. So I, I think you look at those teams, the 54 team beat Ole Miss. That was the team that was coached by George – excuse me, that was quarterbacked by George Welsh. Right, I, right. So I, I lean towards 63, but I, I, there, there's some great teams that you can throw in the mix. And you have such a great appreciation for the game. That's some great 10-year stretch as well. Uh, moving on to modern day, Navy runs the triple option offense. I, I need to know, how does this make your job as a color commentator different from other color commentators from the more pass-oriented teams? Uh, it makes it a lot more interesting in, in, in my regard, <laughs> I think, sometimes. You know, it, it changes the style of the game. You know, we play in the conference in the AAC where you get – your typical high-powered offense. You have UCF, you have your Memphises, you have your SMUs. But the one thing that you will quickly understand when, you know, when you're talking about Navy and comparing in modern-day terms, when you look at the competition that they go against, the biggest thing is possessions really matter. And it's something that we try to get along in the broadcast as well. It's like, hey, UCF is used to having 22, 23 possessions. And in this game, they're going to have you know, maybe 12, maybe 13. And it, it becomes a little bit of a mind game. And you sort of, when you're we're talking about this offense and how to prepare for it and how to defend for it, all those things kind of trickle into, I think, coaches' minds about that when you, when you head into Navy. I mean, I love watching the offense. I mean, I guess I'm partial to it. There's no doubt about that. I've been around the program for a long time. Sure. But I think you can win and have success running the football. And I hate the fact that the, the common, I guess, theme out there is, is you can't have success running this offense. And I think Paul Johnson, when he went to Georgia Tech, proved that you could. I think Navy, I think Army and Air Force have all proven that you can uh, to win and have success in this offense. So I, I love watching it. I, I think it's a, it's a fascinating offense at times. Uh, it can really uh, be very explosive. That's the one thing that people don't understand about this offense. I mean, uh, in the, the 2020 season, there was no more explosive offense than, than Navy. I mean, they had like over 
I think it was like 47 runs of 40 or more yards. I mean, that's, that's unbelievable. And it can be explosive. I hate the cliches about, you know, third down and 12, the offense is not built for this. Well, there's not a ton of offenses that are built for third down and 12, or, you know, they can't go down the field in a two minute offense and score. They've done it tons of times. And I think some of those things are just lazy when people talk about this offense. Man, you bring such a unique perspective. That's fantastic insight. So kind of piggybacking on that, as a commentator, can you tell when a team is confused by Navy's triple option attacks? Can you, can you see those nuances? I think you do. And the thing that I think pops out more than anything when you look at it, Jay, is that when the fullback is getting going, you know, that initial, you know, quarterback, fullback option play where you're looking at fullback dives or just the, on a simple triple option, anytime you see the fullback having a big game, you sort of understand that the defense is having a, a, a difficult time with this offense. Because if you talk to uh, most coaches, the first thing they'll say is we got to take away the fullback. And, and in situations where, uh, you know, back in 2016, I was looking through the numbers. I mean, Navy in back-to-back games scored 66 and 75 points against SMU and ECU. And they just couldn't stop the fullback. And I think that's where it starts for defenses. So, when you see confusion, uh, it, it's really at that line of scrimmage on that initial handoff play on the fullback dive, the fullback trap. That seems like if you have issues struggling for that, you have no shot stopping them. And um, that's where I think you see it more than anything. Oh, fantastic response. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, and, and I need to, to ask you this. What, why is it that both Army and Navy run the triple option? Well, it, it, to, uh, you know, there's a couple different reasons. I think the first thing people would tell you is recruiting. Um, it, it's just the, the skill level of player that they can get recruiting wise is it, it's easier to fit this offense. Um, pass blocking, you know, to get your six, seven, 350. Look, they've had guys like that. And I'm not saying that they haven't had guys like that, but to get a six, seven, 315 pound left tackle to go with your six, five you know, 311 right tackle, that's tough for them to get. So, so recruiting is a big part of it. Um, I also think the technical aspect of, of running the offense is a big part of it too. Um, The, the other part is, let's be honest, you're not recruiting NFL players. So, um, you know, occasionally you will have players that make it to the NFL from Navy, from Army, from Air Force, but in, in, in reality, you're not, you, know, you don't look at your recruiting class and say, hey, we have five guys that are going to go to the NFL. So that's not part of the equation. And I, I think that you can fit guys in this offense a lot easier because of that. And you don't have to worry about showcasing a guy's ability to go to the NFL because that's not really part of the deal when you go to Nate. Uh, see, that makes perfect sense to me. I guess I'll switch it up now uh, for the games themselves. On our podcast, we have a most stunning win, most stunning loss segment to our podcast. So I'll start with most stunning win. And we gave the nod to what ended the 43 consecutive game losing streak to the Fighting Irish, Navy 46, Notre Dame 44, three overtimes, November 3rd, 2007. So two questions for you here. Let's go historically. What was the most stunning win in your estimation in Navy football history? I think... And it's a game that still a lot of people talk about, even though it was, you know, it, it wasn't 
in, in theory. I mean, I was alive for it, so it wasn't that long ago. But in 1984, a 3-5-1 Navy team upset number two South Carolina, 38-21. to And I think for that, for the longest time, that was the, the Navy's win, their lone win over a, 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 a top-10 team for, I think, almost 20 years. And that game was in Annapolis. And, you know, reading back on it, the game really wasn't that close. And this was a South Carolina team that was number two in the country that was getting ready to play Clemson the next week, their main rivals. And I think the, 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 the general thought was that they overlooked Navy and, and Navy rolled them 38, 21 uh, for a team that that year, that was three, five and one in that game. So I think that game for um, in recent history is the one that a lot of people still to this day, it sticks out like a sore thumb, like, how did they do that that afternoon against a, a really good South Carolina team? See, I can appreciate that. So let's go currently. If you had to pick the two or three most stunning wins you've watched while, while color commentating for Navy football, just, just pick them out from what you've experienced, what would they be? Yeah, I came up with two. In 2016, uh, they beat Memphis on a Saturday night ESPN uh, you know, primetime game. It was Navy's first year in the conference. And, uh, you know, Memphis was ranked number 15. Paxton Lynch was the big story in that game. And Navy went to the Liberty Bowl and, you know, had their way, 45-20. It really wasn't uh, that close to the game. And I, I feel like that was one. And certainly in 20, uh, 2016 against Houston, um, Houston at the time, you know, Ed Oliver, they were a top-ranked team, and the, the, the story on that is the, the previous week, Navy was playing Air Force, which is obviously one of their main rivals, and, you know, we, we lost the game 28-14, to 14 and, it, uh, Jay, it wasn't even that close. I mean, it, it was one of the games where Navy offensively just couldn't move the football, just couldn't do anything, and I just remember sitting on the bus getting ready to go to the, to the airport to come home and sitting there thinking, man, this was a rough day and we've got a top 10 team in Houston coming in next week. Uh, this might get, this, this might get bad pretty quick. And Navy played one of the best games I've seen them play. Uh, they took down Houston 46 to 40 in a, in a, in a game that was a torrential downpour the entire game, but it was one of the few times at the end of the game, uh, you had, um, uh, just an amazing last second finish. Navy wins 46 to 40. Uh, to me, those games stick out. Now, I wasn't on the broadcast. I was on the, the, um, on the pregame show. But in, in 2010 also, they beat Notre Dame up in East Rutherford, up at the new Giants Stadium, 35 to 17. Right, and the thing right. about that game, Notre Dame wasn't ranked or anything like, at that point. But the comprehensive way, I mean, it was 35 to 10 in the third quarter. And I was, I remember being in the press box that day, looking around, like we're actually beating Notre Dame 35 to 10. And it's not even that close. It was one of those games. It was Brian Kelly's first year at Notre Dame. Um, I think it was his first year at Notre Dame. It was one of those games where it's like, it wasn't a huge upset as far as like, you know, spread or anything like that, but it was just one of those like pinch yourself moments and take a look at the scoreboard because for 40 years, the opposite had been happening, you know, and obviously, as you mentioned, we beat them. Uh, in a couple of years there. Um, but that game was stood out because it was just like domination. And I don't think a lot of people with Navy had ever seen that before. <laughs> That's phenomenal, right? I remember the game vividly. Good stuff. Well, this is fun. Let's, let's kind of repeat it, but then from the flip side. 
uh, stunning losses. For most stunning loss on our podcast, we gave it to the 1999 Notre Dame 28, Navy 24. And it was because Navy entered on what was then an NCAA record 36-game losing streak to Notre Dame. And they seemed to have a game in hand with 120 remaining. Then you had this weird little Jarius Jackson to Bobby Brown catch that was controversial that kept the drive alive. So we thought that was the most stunning loss. So again, just to, to repeat ourselves, but then from the flip side, historically, what do you think is the most stunning loss in your estimation in Navy football history? So I went with a stunning and heartbreaking loss. I went with 1995 Army-Navy game. And this is also because I worked with a lot of guys that from, that, from that team and that era, which was the first team to sort of turn things around for Navy under then coach Charlie Weatherby after, you know, after George Welsh had left. And this class had a lot of success. They went to um, a bowl game, the Hula Bowl, um, uh, excuse me, the Hawaii Bowl, the Aloha Bowl. Um, beat Cal, but the one thing this class didn't do was they didn't beat Army. And in 95, they're up 13 to seven in the fourth quarter. They've got the ball fourth and one at the one yard line. Instead of kicking the field goal and going up 16 to seven, they go for it. They don't get it. Army uh, goes 19 plays, 99 yards to get the game winning score. And including in that drive was a fourth and 24 conversion from mm. Army. They win the game with seconds remaining, 14 to 13. So I think that one is up there. And also in 93, the Army-Navy game, uh, where they missed an 18-yard field goal at the buzzer. So uh, maybe not completely stunning, but certainly heartbreaking for those guys. Uh, and the way, especially the 95 game, I think that still reverberates to a lot of people that experienced that game because uh, it, was, it was stunning to see them go 99 yards late in the fourth quarter, and win that game um, against Nate. Oh, great stuff. Great stuff. And again, your, your job as a color commentator absolutely fascinates me. So I got to know, from the games that you've watched while commentating, what would you pick to be the most, the two, three most stunning losses? They would be that for, for games where you were there. Yeah, I, um, the, the 2016 Army game, which mm -hmm. was the end of the streak, um, the 14 year run for Navy over army that's up there. And sure, the tough sure. thing, the 2016 season is one of the tough ones for me because it was such a successful season. They beat Houston. Uh, they won the, the AAC West at the time played in the AAC championship game, you know, for, for over a hundred years, Navy's never been part of a conference. And then two years into being in a conference, they're in the AAC championship game. And that day, their starting quarterback and starting running back got hurt on the same play. And so they lost that game. And the next week, they go and play Army uh, in, uh, in a game where they started a freshman at quarterback's first career start. That ended the streak. So that, to me, is one of those stunning losses. And I honestly, not necessarily be stunning, but I would say the, the, the 2019 loss to Notre Dame, where I think for the first time, it was a game where Navy came in ranked 21. And Notre Dame came in 16th ranked in the country. And I think for one of the few times, Navy thought, hey, we got a shot to win this game. Um, you know, usually uh, Coach Nia Matalolo will always say, hey, we got to play perfect to win this game. And then we also have to have some luck. Um, in this situation, I think they just thought they, if they played really well, they'd have a good shot at winning that game. And they lost it pretty convincingly, 15 to 20. So that was a little bit of a 
sort of a, the air coming out of a balloon moment for, for this team and, and sort of those, uh, you, you know, stunning or, or heartbreaking losses. Oh, again, great stuff, Joe. Fantastic. Well, I guess that kind of sets up for talking about the Army-Navy football game. Uh, personally, I had removed an item on my bucket list when I went to the big house and I took my son, Dig, to watch an Ohio State-Michigan game at the big house. So next would be Army-Navy. That, that's next on my bucket list. So I, I need to know what it's like. Uh, c- can you speak to what it's like to be present for an Army-Navy game? Uh, Jay, it's amazing. I mean, <laughs> um, it, it's, it's, it's one of those things where um, the, the buildup meets the expectations. And I, I think the thing that is special about the game, and you know, I've been asked this a, a, a bunch of times, but the one thing that I love about the Army-Navy game is it's the one game that you go to where an hour before the game, like the stands are packed and there, there's like a, there's like a legit atmosphere going on. And it, it's special because of that. It's special because of the people playing. It's special because of the dignitaries there and all that they've accomplished and the people in the stands. I mean, just, it's just a, it's like a, a giant <laughs> um, a party of, of really cool people and it's just a lot of fun. The atmosphere is amazing. And, um, and the game means a ton too. And that's also the, the tension before the game, you know, after Navy won 14 in a row, Army had won three in a row. And I go back to the, you know, the 2019 season where, you know, Navy's having a great year and they're putting up huge numbers, ton of success. But they had lost to Army in three games. And going into that game, even though that, you know, they were going to a bowl game, they had contended for, they won a portion of the the division title. There was still a lot of tension headed into that week. And that was palpable before the game, you know, talking to people. And it was just like, you know, it's just Army Navy. We're going to try to get through this. And, And that to me makes it special because as an announcer, you can feel that you can sense that headed into the game. And I think really the crowd can feel that and anybody associated with these programs can feel that. And I think that's what makes it special because of the atmosphere and just the built up tension that you have in the stadium um, when it's split in half and it's 50, 50 on one side and 50, 50 on the other side. Wow. So well said. I have such a respect and reverence for the moment of the game, but the way you describe it, absolutely beautiful the game ends with the honor the fallen as a color commentator can you can you encapsulate that moment for us what is that like for you looking down well you know it's it's all all the time it's sing second it's the you know it's the mantra that i think both programs have which means the alma mater of the losing team gets played first and the alma mater of the winning team gets played second so um so it's, it's on everybody's mind. It's sing second. It, it's, that's everything that's, and, it, and it's not just for the football, you know, you know, I cover a lot of other sports there and it's the same deal with every, you know, men's soccer, women's soccer, whatever you have when they go against each other, it's sing second. So it gets pretty emotional. And the other part of it that you, that you have is, you know, a senior class, you know, whether it's in wartime or peacetime, you know, it's, it's the realization that, Hey, this is over. We're not playing football anymore. This is, you know, we're going to go, you know, get our assignments and go get um, where we're headed in our next, you know, 
uh, line of work, whether it be with the Marines, whether it be on a ship, whether it be on a submarine, wherever it is, you know, this is the last time you're going to play football. So there's the finality of Army Navy combined with the finality of your career coming over. And it does make for some emotional times down on the field. I, the one being on the sideline for, you know, four or five years, how many it was, that the playing of the alma maters at the end of the Army Navy game was was pretty emotional. And and to see that is is pretty special. Oh, fantastic stuff. Fantastic stuff. Let's talk about plays. What do you think is the most memorable play or play that you've witnessed commentating a Navy game? You had to look back on it and you said, this play sticks out in my mind. So one clear play stands out for me. It's the 2017 Navy Air Force game. I'm actually in my office right now looking at a, a picture above me of the game. <laughs> um, as much as Army and Navy is fantastic, Navy Air Force is right there with it. it it's great. Um, it's a it's a it's a fantastic rivalry. And in that game that year, 15 seconds left in the game, third down and 10 for Navy at the Air Force 16 yard line. Zach Avey finds uh, Taylor, uh, excuse me, Tyler Carmona for a game winning touchdown. Um, and with 15 seconds left and Navy wins 48 to 45. I'd never heard Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium so loud as when that happened. And it was. It, look, uh, I always have a hard time sort of in the context of, uh, of letting people know how special Navy Air Force is because a lot of the attention goes to Navy Army, but for the players, it's right up there. And that was a, a huge comeback for them in a great game, 48-45, just an unbelievable game that, that came down to a, a, a last second play and it, it, it will stick with me for a long time. Oh, marvelous, marvelous retail. Thank you. So how about if I pinpointed just the Army-Navy game? Pick one play, two plays as a commentator that just stick out in your mind. So, and ironically enough, it's in, it's in a loss. But mm. the, the, the 2017 game, the 2017 loss to Army, 14-13, I don't know if you remember it, but it was the snow game to us. <laughs> um, sure, sure. And sure. I was on the sideline for that, uh, for that game. And... Um, and it's memorable to me because 48-yard field goal, Bennett Mooring was the kicker for the, 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 the midshipman that day, and he just barely missed it. I mean, it was as close as it could get, and I was stationed underneath the goalpost oh. in the snow uh -huh. uh, waiting for the kick, and uh, it, just, it just missed. And, um, and, and that will always be memorable to me because of sort of – Look, obviously they lost, so it's not something that you're going to – a fond memory. But when, you, when I look back on it now, uh, it was a great game, a great moment. And I just wish, you know, it was a couple inches a little bit inside. But th that, that memory will always stick with me because, you know, sitting under the goalpost as he kicks it, uh, I'm thinking there's uh, no way in the snow that's, you know, that it's going to get anywhere close from 48 yards. And then I can see the kick in the air. I'm like, oh, my God, this got a shot. This is going this is, this is to get there. And then at the conclusion going, oh, it's just wide. So uh, that, that will always stay with me. <laughs> that is great. That is great. All right, I, I got a couple of just fun questions for you, okay? In college football, not, not Navy necessarily. In fact, not Navy at all. What is your most memorable play that you, you have ever witnessed, seen on TV, 
that just sticks out to you? Uh, it's hard not to say Vince Young for mm. the town in, in the 26 Rose Bowl, 2006 Rose Bowl against USC. To me, that game will always stick out as one of the greatest games I've ever seen. And his play where it's like, you know that he's running the ball. <laughs> you know and SC's a great defense. And you're like, you know he's running the ball here, and he still goes and does it. That, to me, will always stick out. <laughs> <laughs> you just made a fan of my son, Dig. He and I always <laughs> argue, greatest game ever. He picks that one, and I pick the Boise State-Oklahoma. I think it was the year before. Yeah. It's an ongoing argument we have. More fun questions for you. Best Navy player that you've ever actually watched? Yeah, it's hard not to say Keenan Reynolds, the quarterback for the, for the midshipmen who set the touchdown record in, in college football. And the thing, you know, there's multiple moments that I always remember about Keenan's tenure here. But the fact that he's – the other thing that is special about Keenan is how still to this day he's held in so high regard by the coaching staff and what they were able to do as a coaching staff – to allow him to sort of, you know, best fit what they do offensively. And I think that sticks out more than anything is that the coaching staff still to this day is like, well, this is how Keenan did it. You know, it's sort of one of those things <laughs> like it's still, he still reflects on the program, um, you know, even though it's, you know, you know, four going on five years later. So I, I think you have to say Keenan, what he was able to accomplish and how, he wasn't flashy per se, but how smooth he made things look out there and how seamlessly he made this offense run, I think stands out more than anything. Fantastic. So do you have a favorite Navy player of all time? Yeah, I, 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 there's a couple guys that I love on the defensive side that aren't big names by any stretch of the imagination, but I love watching them play in my time here. One's uh, uh, Taylor Heflin, who is an inside linebacker, who's not a huge guy, but he threw his body around like nobody's business. I mean, I, just a, a human missile at times in their 3-4 defense, middle, you know, inside linebacker, just an unbelievable play. The other guy that sticks out to me, too, is the defensive end, Willie Anthony, who, once again, not a huge name defensively for this Navy team, but was relentless. I mean, just didn't stop on a play. And he was, you know, defensive end, he would make so many plays from the backside coming to make plays. I always admired his willingness and his motor. And those two guys sort of stick out to me uh, amongst, you know, I, I could sit here and list 25 guys, but those guys really stuck out to me and how they, you know, for Heflin, how he sort of sacrificed his body all the time and just um, gave it all. And Anthony, who had a motor that didn't stop and really turned into a really good player. He didn't play a ton early in his career. Oh, great response. Great response. Well, if I had to put you on the spot, best <laughs> college football player you have ever seen, best college football player you've ever seen. Uh, I, I had to go with, and this is just from my, from being from my childhood. Uh, I loved watching Charlie Ward play at Florida state, like love, love, love watching Charlie Ward play. Uh, so and I grew up in the Maryland area, so we got all the ACC games when they first joined the ACC. So I was a huge fan of Charlie Ward. I, I just love his, you know, him and to, to Merrick Vanover and Matt Fryer and all the Florida State and Charlie Ward to me. I mean, there's so many guys, but I have to go back to when I was a kid because that's when I, you know, first fell in love with this game. So to me, you know, Charlie Ward stood out more than anybody as the guy that was like, this guy can do everything. He never seemed to sweat at all. <laughs> like he always seemed to be in control, even on the basketball court too. 
So I, I, as a kid, I loved Charlie, watching Charlie Ward play. Ah, great again, great stuff. Well, I want to thank you, Mr. Joe Miller. You have been a phenomenal guest. Again, Mr. Joe Miller, color commentator for the Navy Football Radio Network, PXB for Navy Athletics, host of At It's College FB Podcast. That is at I-T-S-C-O-L-L-E-G-E-F-B Podcast. You can also hear him at WBAL Sports Tonight, and he, he may be found on Twitter at Joe M-I-L M-I-L. Follow this man. Thank you for listening to the History of College Football. I am Jay Abramson. Join us every Tuesday and Saturday for a new episode.